Welcome to Draw, Lose or Draw, a podcast about Partick Thistle. I'm David Forrest and again joining me this week is Jamie McDonald. Jamie, how are you? I'm good, thanks David. Great to get another one. Wasn't a classic, but three points nonetheless. And as well as that, uh, Rhys Haldane is here. Rhys, how are you? I'm good, boys. Um, can't complain. Another victory. So, <laughs> HMS Pissalik lives for another day. No icebergs in sight. We're absolutely riding the wave at this point, but um, we'll start with the starting 11. Obviously, Lewis Mayo coming back in from Scotland under-21s, centre-back with uh, Richard Foster uh, dropping out. Foster wasn't even in the bench, surprisingly, but even Stephen Hendry got in the bench. But um, Foster dropped completely, not on the, the bench, from Mayo coming back in. Jamie, what did you think of it? I doubt that was the original plan. I think he would probably just gone for a straight swap of uh, Mayo for McKenna and then put Foster back out on the right and Holt back out on the left, like we had for the Kamarnock game. But I'm assuming a knock or something, maybe in late knock in training or something before the game, has enforced the change, so Foster ended up dropping out of the squad. He'll probably be back in if it's not anything major or anything long-term that's annoying him for the Dunfermline game of the Cup. Who knows, maybe he'll get rested again. But I thought McKenna did very well when he came, retaining his place at full-back and Mayo slotted in very well, once again having a fantastic performance and obviously getting the winner for his first ever career goal. So the change ended up working well. Good to have Mayo back in the squad. You, know, you can see why he's getting called up for the Scotland squads, you know, the under-23 squad, because he's a quality player and it's fantastic having him back in the side. And I thought the defence marshalled Hamilton pretty well throughout the game. You know, they had maybe one or two chances, maybe. But nothing, nothing major, I wouldn't say. I think they had that one from the angle, which Moyo scaffed miles wide and apart from that I don't think they had any big chances and wasn't exactly a fantastic game not not anywhere near as exciting as a 6-1 game at New Douglas Park but we got a three points we kept another clean sheet you know we're four from the table the league table is mad right now and we'll talk about that later but you know, exciting, exciting season and I'm absolutely loving it Reese, um, I've seen it um, Aki's fan uh, Ben McNichol done a report for I believe the Herald um, and, I, and I was reading it, and it said that there was one shot on target the whole game for, for either team, and it was, of course, Mayo's goal. It, it was pretty rotten, wasn't it? It was a rotten game. Hi, there's no getting away from that. It was a, a terrible viewing, but you know the old adage, like when you're struggling and you still get the three points, it's a sign of champions. So let's hope that that's, uh, that's true, but... It is good to win games like that because so often we've seen this season four nils, three nils, six ones. To see the ugly side of the game and actually prevail with the three points, it was almost satisfying in a way. Even the Kilmarnock game, it was one nil, but we still looked good that day and we were solid. That was just a really bad game the weekend from both both sets of teams, both sets of players. But I, Hamilton, like 
if I was a Hamilton fan, I'd be major worried. They are they're a sinking ship. <laughs> and just happy we had gone the opposite way. And I know we touched on it before we came on air, but the way that this league's split now, like if you're down there, you're down there. So just got to thank our lucky stars that we've had a good start to the season and hopefully we can carry on. But terrible game. And I'm happy to see Mel get a goal. And just on McKenna as well, like I'm I'm actually happy he started. I would have liked to see him start. But at the same time, you don't really want to drop Foster because the defence had been playing so well. So I uh, imagine it's an enforced injury. So the fact that that came around, it was good for McKenna to get a start. Um, but as Jamie's mentioned, I, I can see him coming back into the team. Jamie Sneddon broke the clean sheet record, the sixth consecutive clean sheet. Uh, we talked about it in the last couple of weeks. Jamie, um, I'll put it very simply to you. Are we ever going to concede a goal again? Yeah, I think we will on Friday. <laughs> I'm not feeling good with that. <laughs> it's not game on Friday at all. I know that might seem contradictory to the run of form we're on right now, but obviously we'll go on to the Dunfermline game, but I just don't feel good for that. However, the record's in the league, so if we can see in the cup, as what it is. It doesn't affect Jamie Sneddon's uh, clinchy record in the league. But in the league, we just really don't look like conceding. We've been fantastic at the back. You know, as I've said, the defence, Marshall, basically anything that's coming at them recently. Occasionally, maybe there's been a bit of luck with, I think, in that Morton game, there's something off the line at the end and a few other chances here and there. Uh, maybe Kilmarnock plays a few chances, I'm not sure. But Sten's been absolutely fantastic in goals. You know, he's like a changed man this season. He's, you know, I think this run of games that he's finally getting, he's been so patient. He's been at the club for five years or five seasons. Um, he's finally getting that season as our number one, which I thought would have been last season in League One, but didn't fully happen. He was in and out again with a few runs, but this season he's really getting that run in the team and it's coming to fruition because he's playing fantastic. He's increasing in confidence. He's becoming more vocal. He's basically collecting every cross. He's, that's one thing he's been fantastic at. Corners, he either catches or punches very confidently and he's making some important saves as well, but We've said it before, we said it on last week's episode, he actually hasn't had to make many big saves recently. I think the last big save I remember making was the one that Kilmarnock obviously made a fantastic save near the end. And in that Dunfermline 0-0, I remember making a big save, I think it was from Craig White. But he's not had to make too many big saves, but he's just been great at marshalling his box. And yeah, he's been fantastic this season. And I think he'll be one of the players actually who will end up getting nominated for player of the season whenever that does roll around. And he's having a great season. One for Jamie, I'll just come back to you on this one then. Um, is it concerning for you that we only had one shot on target? Is that something we should be worried about? I'd say no, because we're, we're a team this season has clearly proven we can score goals. We've won 6-1, we've won 4-0 twice, we've won 3-0 three times, I think. We've won 3-2 once, and also 2-1-0 wins in there. So we're definitely a team that's proven we can score goals. Uh, even in games we've lost, like we lost 3-2 to Rafe, we still bagged two goals in that, so... We're the league's top goal scorers. I think one game when we're a bit off it and we only got one shot on target, it doesn't make for a good viewing, but we get the three points anyway. So, like Reese mentioned earlier, it's a sign of a team who can actually fight for titles if you're um, winning games when you're not playing well. And that's exactly what we did. So, I, no grumbles from me, I think. It was a good one and I'm not going to complain about only one shot on target because I don't think that would be the case in many other games this season. No, from uh, I'd agree with you, Jamie, on that one. I think as well for me, like with the Hamilton game, I think after Hamilton's doing the last time, there wasn't much a sense of them of right. Let's not go out and get battered again. Let's pretty much park the bus and make sure we don't take another scudding. Um, so they they did they did work um, hard to to try and keep us at bay. 
and to be fair, the fact that we only scored with someone who'd never scored before shows that you know they had some success with that. But um, as you say, it's it's a real sign that we're actually getting three points out of these games, whereas in many many years before in these games we we just wilted and just just done nothing. But I it was one shot on target, but we scored in the fifty seventh minute, right? And then 59th minute, we had a really strong shout for a penalty, just waved away. And then the 61st minute, Cammy Smith's hit that strike from a good a good bit out, and it's came off the underside of the bar. And I've seen footage back, and it actually does look like it's almost crossed the line, but it's hard to see from uh, from that angle. But it looks like it's got a shout of being in. So on another day, you're 2-0 up, and you've got a penalty, it's 3-0. So it's fine margins, but aye, as you've said, good to get the win regardless. No, definitely, absolutely. It's one of those ones where it would, the the luck doesn't go towards you, and you still get the result. It's, it's fantastic. When on Saturday I was with Mark Wallace, um, watched it, and he says that he got the makings. He felt that this was this sort of redux of the twelve thirteen squad. He was getting that sort of vibe from them of the team that won the championship. Would you agree with that? Do you, do you get that feeling from them? Majorly, I I definitely get that. There's such a Togetherness about the team. If you look back, like to the, the team of 2012-13, there's so many parallels. Like you had a lot of young guys who kind of like had knockbacks from other places, like and are kind of fighting to prove a point. You look at boys like obviously Zach Rudden. I know he didn't get released from Rangers, but he's got a point to prove. He's hungry. He's, he's got a lot of desire. Scott Tiffany, like he was doing well at Livingston, but then he kind of fell out the team a wee bit. He came to us and he's he's hungry for it. He, he wants to succeed in his career, and it's good that. They've all found their way at Partick Thistle, and they're all like building something. Um, and you've got guys like Brian Graham spearheading the team, like the connection with the fans. It's just, and it's all came. I said it last week, it's all came from McCall instilling into these players like how much a privilege it is to play for this club. Like we're a big club as well. Like he's better start realizing that he's playing for a big club. Like look at the fans. Like they're hearing their numbers every week. They don't stop cheering you on. They follow you up and down the country. Um, and it's as if the players actually are getting that now, this group of players. Um, as, as we've mentioned a couple of times with the clean sheet thing, as soon as the full-time whistle goes, Sneddon, Mayo, Akinola, they all turn around, they all come up and celebrate towards the fans. Like They can tell they're buzzing with how things are going at the minute. And rightly so, they're doing a great job. But aye, in terms of the 2012-13 season, you don't want to say it so early, but there's a lot of parallels because... Back then as well, we were scudding teams 4-0, 5-0, 6 one 7-0. And it's the first time we've seen that in many a year. And it's it's all happening again. And I'm, i seen a tweet from the SPFL last week, and it's like, it was just about the numbers that we've been putting up recently. And it's the first time we've done it since we're running in 2012-13. So let's hope it's a good omen and we can repeat that. Definitely. And, I mean, we'll look at the, the table at the moment. As, as you mentioned off air before, it is absolutely insane. You've got Kelly, Inverness, Rafe, Arborough and us all separated by two points in top five, a 14-point gap, and then you've got five teams in the toilet bowl separated by one point. You've got your Queen of South, Ayr, eh, Morton, Dunfermline and Hamilton. And it, it feels like we're getting very close to halfway through the season. Jamie, would you say it's, it's safe to say that the five teams that are at the top half and the five teams at the bottom half will be the same as they are now, or do you do you see some team absolutely cratering and another one pulling themselves out of the mire, or do you think it's, it's set in stone now? I wouldn't say it's set in stone, but I'd say it's very likely. 
obviously, you know, there's a there's a big you know, a big gap in points. It's, it is wild. I don't know how it's four, fourteen point gap is very odd at this stage of the season between fifth and sixth. We don't expect it. I know sometimes you've got some peeling away in first, maybe second as well, but there really has been. It's almost like too many leagues. I don't I don't think anything will swap, but I think the only likely change that could happen is Dunfermline if they really do pick up under Yogi coming up into the top half and I don't know I don't think they will do it, but if Arbroath do end up not being able to carry on their form, them swapping into sixth and Dunfermline to fifth. But I don't think it's gonna happen. I think the top five and bottom half will stay the way it is because I, I can't see Ayr, Hamilton, Morton or Queen of the South into the top half and I can't really see Kilmarnock, Rafe, Inverness or ourself going down. I, I don't think our both will either to be honest so I think it'll stay the way it is and it's very odd that this table is we've, as we've said it's mental there's two points between fifth and first then it's 14 points between fifth and sixth and then it's one point between sixth and tenth that's such a weird league table and but it makes it exciting, doesn't it? It's going to be a run-in throughout the whole league. It's going to, like, whenever it gets, if it stays the way it is, and I think it will, whenever it gets to the run-in of the season, there's going to be, you know, possibly five teams fighting for promotion, even possibly five teams fighting for a title, which is wild. And then it could be four or five teams fighting for relegation, or if maybe some will fall away into automatic relegation, but it could still be to avoid the relegation playoffs. And it just it makes it very entertaining and, it's a great league to be a part of, and the championship is the most competitive league in the country, and it's proven at this season that it really is proven. And yeah, I love it. It's, it's really exciting, and it's been a great season so far. And long may it continue. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that, and it's 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 just mad that you've you've got this going on, and the, the sheer nature of the championship is that you don't get teams that usually just you know have a death march to the title. Maybe Hearts accepted, but even then Hearts lost quite a few games. They, they built up a lead and then kind of threw a lot of it away and still had the odds embarrassing result in there. But like the nature of the championship is that teams they are they are usually very clustered and as well as that, you, you, you hit pumps in the road. You have teams who are out in front who will just lose to a ninth place team um, out of nowhere because it's like a shite rainy night at Capital or something like that or you know, the, the teams um, the teams are in like the top four or five, they'll play each other and they'll all get wins against each other, so it all kind of evenly spread out. It's it's really going to make it an incredible run-in. Do you, do you, Brees, do you think this is sustainable or do you think it's going to be a case of a team's going to break away or how long do you think this insanity can continue? I can see it running the coast pretty much to be fair because as you said like, everyone's picking up points against everyone like Kelly beat us we've beat Kelly like and it's just hopefully we can do it as well like hopefully we can beat our growth next time we can get a result against Inverness and stuff like the teams that have beat us already hopefully we can do one over them and it's just going to keep it going and as you said that's as it's the nature of the 10 team league like anybody can beat anyone but as has been said it's never normally a gap like that in the middle of the table which has actually made it even more exciting than you thought it was imaginable because, as it's been mentioned, too many leagues now with barely two or three points separating teams, do you know what I mean? So one result can sway the whole league. You've just got to hope like we can just find our own business, keep winning our own games and let it just work in our favour because that's all you can really do. You can't really you can't rely on other teams doing your favour in this league. It just never happens. And so many times you've seen slip-ups like as you've mentioned, Kelly fall at Tim Horton and stuff like that. So, aye, 
I can see it running its course. I can't see anyone really pulling away. Um, Kelly kind of had a chance. You know, they were they were winning one now every week when the other teams were faltering. Um, but it looks like they've kind of blown it in recent weeks as well because I think they've lost to like all the other playoff candidates at home. So uh, they've kind of they've they've obviously not fumbled it because what are we fifteen games into the season? But they've kind of took their foot off the gas in terms of their their lead. So we'll move on to the. Scottish Cup game on Friday. Now, I know we've broken the clean sheet record and Dunfermline have been quite torrid all season. But Jamie, you said that you were concerned about the game on Friday. Do do you see us progressing? <laughs> I, I never like backing against my own team, but I just have a bad feeling about Friday's game for some reason. Dunfermline are you know, the hitting form now under Yogi, which I, I did think they'd probably pick up. Uh, some form under him and they got a good win up in Inverness and they beat Ayr who albeit aren't a great side but they still won I, I know we're in good form as well so that kind of is relevant given both sides going in in good form but I just have a bad feeling about this cup game for some reason but have to be proven wrong it's kind of it's annoying since it's going in a bit flat I know it's a Friday night game I do quite like Friday night games but I know they're not everybody's not everyone's cup tea but it's just a bit flat for me because it's kind of rubbish cup draw at home to Dunfermline and we've already played them three times this season because we got them in the League Cup group stages we've had them twice in the league we're going to play them another two times in the league after this you know it's not it's the same for Dunfermline I'm sure they definitely do not want to draw us you know that'll be their them end up visiting Farhill four times in one season so it's just it's just a boring cup draw I would much rather have got a good away day to someone be able to take someone else off for 42 but or even just a decent away day in general to someone who wasn't in our league but we didn't get that. We've got the game coming up. Hopefully we progress. If we don't, I don't know. The league is everything this season, so I won't be absolutely heartbroken if we don't progress. But I want us to progress. I want us to do as well as we can in every cup this season. You know, we I thought we had a good chance to win the Challenge Cup this season, but I'd say we did kind of make a mess of that. We had a favourable side of the draw, but we lost the Queen of the South. So cup games, anything can happen. We'll just have to see how the game goes, but the league's more important. Reese, uh, I'll, I'll bundle three three points for you here. First of all, would you agree with Jamie's prognosis about being worried about this game? Secondly, how important would the cup run be for us in the Scottish Cup? I mean, you see teams like you know Hibs getting the final yesterday, the League Cup, and um, St Johnson getting the semi-finals and stuff like that. What it means for those sort of clubs? I'm not saying we we'll get to the semi-finals or final. I'd love it if we did, but how important would a cup run be for us this season? And as well as that. Would a replay be the worst outcome? First, first off, like any team that builds up any sort of momentum coming into a game against Fissel, I immediately start shaking the bed. I start thinking the worst. I think, right, that's us beat already before a buzz even kicked. But kind of all season, like, I'm sure people would agree, you've been waiting for Dunfermline to come to life because there's no denying they've signed good players. They just weren't working as a team. So when things will start clicking eventually, like, you just got to hope that. Like, the top five are kind of out of sight already because you don't want them catching up with you. And I think John Hughes is a really good manager. Like I like the way he speaks. He could he could sell ice to Eskimos. You know what I mean? He's one of those guys like so passionate in the way he talks. And I'm sure all the players will be getting behind that. So I'm nervous for this game. I can see uh, it's not even a shock result if Dunfermline. Well, is it a shock result? I don't know. It's, we're kind of two even evenly sized clubs, so it'll be a, it'll be a good tie regardless. Um, just hopefully we can prevail. A cup run would be massive. It's it's always nice to have a, a good cup run, get to the quarterfinals, and 
if we ever managed to get to a semi-final, it would be, it'd be amazing. It'd be an amazing day just to get to Hamden. But it's a tough ask when you're in the championship. We, we had a we had a couple of goals at it when we were in the in the Premiership and we kind of fell short. But it's, it's a bit of an ask. Um, but you've just got to hope the fact that a lot of the teams in the championship have kind of drawn each other. Um, and the, the good League One clubs have kind of drawn the good championship clubs and stuff. So if we do manage to get through this round, we've got to hope you get a, a clay bang or like one of the other like League Twos or the, the non-League clubs, you know what I mean? And get a good away day because how many times have we seen it? We get through this round and you're like, right, we could get a good cup run here. We could get a belt of a tie, Celtic away. Just, I'm sick of that. Uh, it just makes you like want to like chuck the cup all together, just forfeit the, three, forfeit the game 3-0. But I am... A draw, a replay would be the worst result imaginable. Because as Jamie's kind of already said, like you look forward to every game, but same time I can't be asked for this game. The fact that it's a Friday night has actually made it more appealing to me. See if it was a Saturday three o'clock, you're just wanting it to be the league games. See when you're in this good of form, you don't want any interruptions. So I, if we had to go there on a Tuesday night for just an extra game, couldn't be asked for that one. But on the point of it being a Friday night game, Jamie obviously you mentioned you quite like it and recycle it. So Jamie, I'm going to ask you, what the fuck do you do on a Saturday 3pm when Fiss aren't playing? So, I don't know, it depends. Might just go play football with my mates or something. Or end up having the fun time of doing, working on a uni essay or something. So, I'd rather be at Far Hill than working on a uni essay. But, which I just, I just, it's like research, I can't really be honest with this game, to be honest. But it's a Friday night game, I do like Friday night games. Makes it a bit more bearable, but, I just, I just wish we had a good away day instead in the cup. But and also, like Rhys mentioned, we always seem to get Celtic away, or we end up getting Rangers at home, or whatever. We never get a draw we want, and it just, it just kills the anticipation for the cup. We've got a rubbish draw here, and then if we end up getting through, and we get another shy draw, it just makes the cup completely forgettable. No one's gonna look back and go, "Oh, do you remember the 21-22 season? Remember that cup, that cup run we went on? Yeah, done firm at home, then Celtic away." Nice, happily the most memorable cup run, but we'll just have to take the game as it comes. But I just didn't want the league games to come back. To be honest, we got Queen of the South away, then I brought for home. So looking forward, I'm looking forward to those. I'm already looking onto those games to be honest. But we'll see. Hopefully, it's an enjoyable match. I have to say, having a Friday night game is very dangerous because it's made me uh, look up the feasibility of going to Cove, uh, Cove away on the Saturday to try and tip them off the 42 um, which is something my bank balance does not need before Christmas but um, Reese, have you have you figured out what the hell people normal people do on a Saturday when they're not going to see Fissel? It's, it's the worst like generally see when there's no f- football on Saturdays and it's even worse when there's like international football and there's no football but that's a good thing with Scotland being decent just now it's like bearable at least but it's normally like like I, I, I'm one of, I like I like going shopping, mate. But so I don't mind going to the shops or whatever, cause or going into town and stuff. But uh, when I do get a spare Saturday like this, I'll probably like go to one of my pals' games, cause like I never get to go and see them, cause obviously they always play at the same time as Fissel. So I'll probably go and see my pal Callum plays for Albion Rovers, and they're playing they're playing Air on Saturday in the Scottish Cup. So that'll be a good time to go in. I, I would never be surprised if Albion Rovers get better game Air honky tonk at the minute. So. Uh, probably good to go along to that. I, I'd, I'd also add um, Ockham like Talbot versus Hamilton Ackies because you, you can smell her doing there. Like that's, that, I would be, again, we're talking about what Hamilton fans being very worried. I would be very worried for Saturday because I, I don't think they're going to come out of that tie alive. 
Um, definitely. Um, you mentioned about Scotland, so we'll just talk about, obviously, last week we talked a little bit about Scotland, and then by the time I edited it, it was all useless because it was always talking about how we might get a draw against Denmark. Um, obviously, an incredible result on Monday. Was that the best Scotland performance you've seen? I, I, I think in my lifetime, it's the best one I've seen of us. We were incredible. Would you agree? Performance-wise, 100%. Like, Obviously, way back in maybe 2007, we were getting results against like your Italy's. We're putting up good good performances against Italy, France, etc. But that game the other, the other day, like performance from start to finish, we were all over them. We passed them off the park. We were hungrier than them. We just we didn't even look threatened to be honest. We didn't have much a much a opportunity to score. So definitely, I was surprised to be honest with you. Like even when you were saying, "Oh, we we do well to we get a point in this game." I couldn't see it to be honest, and it's it's mental now. Like they're they're a top ten team in the world. They're a really good side, and they're not there by fluke, mate. They're there on merit. They are a good team, and we bought them about. We were looking outstanding. Like the players we have now, it's it's, it's enjoyable to watch. Like for so many a year, like obviously we all love watching Scotland. We all hope they do well, and nine times out of ten you're let down by something. But the team just now, like so much passion. They're all they all care for our country, obviously. And that should go without saying, but you know for a fact in the past, like our team was flooded with Englishmen who generally didn't really care. They were just there because like they played in the championship and stuff, so they just got a game because we didn't have anyone better than them. But now there's real competition for places all over the park. Jeez, like Shea Adams, like what a find he's been. He's been he's been tremendous. And John McGinn, I don't know how he does it for Scotland, but like he's good for Aston Villa, but he's unreal for Scotland. He scores almost every game for us as well. But uh, aye, it's brilliant. Honestly, it's brilliant to see. And how mad is it that the Scotland national team have lost one game in a whole World Cup qualifier? I just still kind of get my head around that. It is wild, isn't it? Absolutely wild. Um, Jamie, who do you think we'll get in the playoffs? And um, do you think we can do it? I'm feeling we're going to get the Czech Republic, but I won North Macedonia. But uh, yeah, I think we can get through the semi-final and. It'll be interesting to see who we get in the final, but I, with this squad, you just it's so hard to detect anything with this squad. You keep pulling out results when everyone expects the run to finally end. It's like, oh, well, this will be the one. I think people all up before that with Denmark, you know, that this was going to be the game that this squad finally, it was just a push too far. But, you know, they came out with an absolutely outstanding performance, 1-2-0, great result, went into the playoffs. We got seeded, wouldn't put anything past this current squad and... I think I think there's a good chance we actually could do it and get to the World Cup. It would be fantastic. It would be great for the nation as a whole to have two major tournaments in a row. And yeah, Scottish football on the international level is just on the up right now. Definitely, definitely. Um, and you know, Fissel and Scotland's playing well at the same time. It's house and days. So we need to cherish it while we can. Earlier this week, I was joined by Owen Brown from the Young Team newsletter to discuss Lewis Mayo's uh, recent run in the Scotland Under-21 setup. Now I'm joined by 
Owen Brown of the Young Team Newsletter. Hey, Owen, how are you doing? You all right? Yeah, I'm great, David. Thanks. How are you? Good stuff. Not bad. Thank you very much for coming on. I just wanted to get you on just because obviously Lewis Mayo's recent involvement um, in the Scotland Under-21 setup means that he missed um, our game against Air United. He's been quite a regular call-up over the last couple of months. What happens when Lewis Mayo is away, away from the office, so to speak? So, I mean, you want to talk about his recent performances for us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Mayo is one of Scott Gemmell's starting centre-back partnership, along with Stephen Welsh at Celtic for the Scotland Under-21s. This campaign, he's played in all four matches of European Championship qualifying so far. Um, he's been OK for the Scotland Under-21 teams. We've conceded in all four of the qualifiers so far, and he was partly at fault for the goal against Kazakhstan. And, and in general, I'd want to see maybe a lot more from him and kind of build up on the ball. Um, we have quite good attacking midfielders such as Luis Farini um, for that team that he should ideally be kind of attempting, in my view, to pass the ball through the lines too. But ge- generally, he's been fine. Um, it's a kind of interesting um, situation for the centre-backs in the under-21 team. Um, this is the qualify- qualification campaign for the 2023 Euros, and we're kind of midway um, through that campaign and we've played half of our group matches so far and basically we're not going to qualify and um, we have four group matches left two in spring which I guess are the ones for Thistle fans to look out for for you know the, the case that Mayo might be away um, and then final two matches against Belgium and Denmark next June and there's a little bit of a lack of competition in that position for Scotland under 21s and um, you need to be born on or after the 1st of January 2000 to be eligible Mayo of course, was born March 2000. And, and some of the, the players who were in the squad previously are now too old. Porteous of Hibs, McIntyre, Reading. And there's a bit of a talented clutch of younger um, Scotland-eligible central defenders from kind of 2002 um, and younger. But the players who are kind of around his age and, and eligible for Scotland are Welsh, Mayo, Robbie Dees at Inverness Cali, and then Tom Clayton, who plays for Liverpool under-23s and has never played a game of senior men's football. So in some ways, Mayo is kind of in because of a lack of other options, but he, he's done fine um, for, for the Scotland under-21 team recently. I watched the uh, sort of in the background. I wasn't intently watching it, but I did watch the, the Belgium game. And Lewis Mayo, was Lewis Mayo at fault for the penalty? I remember quite a, a, a rough foul from Lewis Mayo that got my booking. I can't remember if that was the penalty one or not, though. Yeah, he absolutely clattered someone uh, yeah. to take them down for the booking. Um, p- potentially at fault for the penalty as well. The, the goal against Kazakhstan, he kind of mishit a long pass and it, it caused a bit of a panic between the goalkeeper and, and the attacker, which, which led to a goal. So kind of mixed performances all round. I think, like I said, on the ball, I'd want to see a little bit more from him um, in terms of kind of, you know, defending the box and in the air. It was generally okay without being anything kind of special. And, and yeah, as you point to a couple of uh, little mistakes here and there. It's very interesting that you mentioned about Mayo maybe not being as confident in Scotland. Now, obviously, it's a big step up from beating Thistle, but I mean, it is first team at Thistle and he, he's been exceptional. Him and Akinola to really formed a partnership together I mean we don't our best centre back is out injured for pretty much all season mm-hmm. and we've you know we've broken our clean sheet record in the league and I think they've not conceded in the last must be about 800 minutes now that they've mm-hmm. played together and obviously championships a bit different from Belgium under 21s I mean I'm quite au fait with the sort of younger Belgian crop that are coming through just from you know I, I played in FIFA and played with a lot of them and stuff like that and you know kind of keep an eye out and have watched them quite intently afterwards and they they are they're on no mean side like they they're absolutely 
tear you apart um, from time to time. So it was always going to be a tough ask, as opposed to say, you know, uh, Hamilton Ackes or, you know, Morton or something like that. It's always going to be very different, but it's quite surprised to see he's not been able to translate it into the national side, but obviously still getting the games while he still can. Speaking of Hamilton, though, you mentioned you were at the Hamilton game uh, last weekend. How did you, how, how, what did you rate of the game and, you know, uh, Mayo in sp- uh, particular? Yeah, um, well, I think you're right to point to the fact that Mayo's been part of a, a brilliantly performing Thistle defence. Um, you know, the clean sheet record is incredible. I think we're only conceding one goal in the league since September, and, and even that was a consolation in the previous game against, you know, Aki's in the 6-1 thrashing. And Mayo's involvement in that is is brilliant. I think the kind of thing I was thinking going into watching the Hamilton Aki's game is, to what extent is Mayo a key part of it all? And, and how much does he benefit from the form of Snedden behind him, Akinola alongside him, and the kind of consistency of selection and reliability of, uh, say, Doherty and Bannigan right ahead of him? And again, my thoughts on Mayo were a wee bit mixed. Um, this this match, I mean, he, he obviously scored the vital goal, which is brilliant, and he was in the SPFL team of the week as a result. Um, I, but I thought it was quite a tough game for him. Um, you're right to point to the fact that, you know, a team like Belgium under 21, they have some really frightening attackers. There's a kid called Lois Appenda who's playing in the area division for Vitesse, and, and he, you know, has a great goal-scoring record at that level, was really di- difficult to play against. But I thought that Aki's um, had a really tough opponent for Mayo in uh, David Moyle. This was a, a real kind of physical challenge in terms of how big and strong he is. Um, somebody that clearly relishes duels and is quite smart in the way he positions himself. I, I think the, the other kind of thing there is that that's maybe one of the main sort of forwards that you might face at that level. And it's kind of tough for everybody. Popescu had a pretty tough game against Brian Graham I thought on the other end of the pitch um, on Saturday as well but going back to Mayo he he had a couple of instances in the match where I felt that he kind of misjudged long balls and either didn't cut them out in the air um, or there was an instance in I think the first half where he kind of let a long ball land in behind him and then doddled on the ball a wee bit and it led to a reasonable chance for Aki's so in in general I felt that yes he, he did fine and was a really good defence and he scored the goal but um, he maybe found it a bit difficult in his one-on-one vassals with uh, Moyo and, and didn't really manage to muscle him and, and often found himself maybe picking the wrong side um, of the player when he was going to con- contest things and, and similarly to maybe talk a wee bit more generally about the match um, I felt that Thistle it was quite a, a difference in Thistle from when they were maybe more of a 4-4-2 structure with Rudden and um, Graham up front. And then when they changed that after Rudden went off and, and when it was the kind of 4-4-2, uh, they were bypassing the midfield quite a lot. And maybe Moyo uh, was, sorry, Mayo rather, was responsible for that. Um, he, he wasn't that successful in picking out the right ball for me. Often seemed to defer to ask Akinola to, to find the pass. And when he did play at more of a medium distance, he had a bit of a tendency to kind of fire into a quite congested area, which which could be fine. But I think this will have the quality to play it through those areas, but they just needed to be a little bit more considerate in terms of how he did it. And, and I think those couple of things are, are maybe the general theme in terms of um, Lewis and it's it's about maybe the decision making as a kind of next step for him in his development and thinking about maybe the step one or two beyond what he's actually doing um when he whether it's a duel 
and how he's positioning himself, what, what he's going to do if the ball is played over his head, um, what the person that he passes it to is going to be able to do. And, and I think that's understandable. You know, this season is really potentially his first full season of senior football because at Dunfermline Athletic, um, he played, uh, I think, a maximum of nine league matches in a row, which is the, the same that he's kind of now matched at Thistle with the run from the Inverness away game to Kilmarnock away. So th- this will all help him um, with that. But I, I guess my, my view is that, yes, Thistle fans should be very pleased with how he's done and he should be very pleased with his ability to you know, be picking up all these clean sheets. But there's still some some development to be done there and I think the Aki's game showed that really well. And was there any other uh, sort of Thistle players that maybe stood out for yourself that you thought maybe impressed you a little bit? Was there anybody that kind of shone? Obviously you mentioned Brian Graham. Uh, given Popescu a Popescu a time, is there anybody else in the Fissel team that you you were very you were impressed by? I know it wasn't the best game in the world; it was one shot and target the whole game. But was there anybody that kind of stood out for you? Yeah, there there were a lack of um, shots. You're right, maybe not the most thrilling match, but it was still plenty to enjoy for me in terms of the kind of battle. Um, I think Akinola was really impressive. I think he merited the Man of the Match award on a day. I thought he was super, just very kind of. Um, won his individual battles really well, knew where to be, um, was quite composed in terms of his positioning. So he really impressed me. Um, and as you say, I thought Brian Graham did really well. Um, you know, he was always there for a kind of flick on, putting into kind of dangerous areas and so on when he was found by the, the centre-backs. Um, so those would be the, the real kind of standouts for me. There was a couple other Thistle players um, who have made sort of cameos for the Scotland youth uh, mm. team over the last couple of months. Zach Rudden, obviously well known to us, he's been part of a strike partnership with Brian Graham. He made an appearance to Scotland under 21s um, and as well as Harry Stone, who to be honest has made a cameo for Thistle as much as he's made for <laughs> Scotland. I, I, to be honest, I think we all think that he's probably going to be leaving in January and Hearts will recall mm. him, but um, do you have any thoughts about their time in the under 21s at all? Yeah, absolutely, David. Um, so Rudden um, has played loads for Scotland at under-19 and under-17 level. And um, I think he, he he got his first competitive uh, minutes for the under-21s in our opening game of this qualifying campaign, which was away to Turkey as a sub. And he actually did pretty well. Um, he had some nice movement. He had a really good chance to score, which he didn't quite take, but it was unfortunate. However, he's not been involved since in the subsequent kind of three matches. I'm not too sure if that's necessarily too much of a reflection on what Scott Gemmell thinks of Rudden. It's more that Scott Gemmell hasn't really decided on who's going to be the heir to Fraser Hornby, who was the kind of main centre forward for Scotland under 21s in the last qualification campaign. Gemmell's kind of cycled through multiple different centre forwards. Um, so he's had James Scott, who's at Hibs. He's had um, Ewan Urine, who's at um, Bilbao in Spain. He's had Kyle Joseph, who's at Cheltenham. Um, he's had Dapo Mabudi. Um, all, all these guys that in these four um, qualifying campaigns have kind of come in and either been given a, a shot off the bench or a start or even just you know some time around the squad, but no actual minutes. And I think this is going to continue. Um, I'm not too sure exactly what the thinking is there. Um, it's even continued to the fact that you know in, in the most recent um, double header qualification against Kazakhstan and Belgium um, for some of both matches they really didn't play without a centre forward at all um, Glenn Middleton who's you know a winger stroke attack and midfielder at St Johnston played um, up front and in another match Mark Leonard who's a, a young 
attacking midfielder, central midfielder even at Brighton, played as a kind of false nine. So I say all that to say that I think that it's going to be unlikely that Rudden comes back into the under-21 setup. He's at the older end of it. You know, he's a, a 2000-born um, player. So that was probably his opportunity. Um, and, you know, that that's okay, I guess. You know, it's not kind of going to work out for him. I think also with Rudden, like you say, you know, kind of playing generally um, in a two up front for Thistle alongside Graham. I felt in the Aki's game that that didn't really work at all. Um, he was quite poor, but much of that was maybe not necessarily his fault. You know, that the change away from the four four two, you know, later in the game improved things massively um, for Thistle, and I think you know they shouldn't have bypassed the midfield so much, and it might have got him involved. But it, it, I think Rudden maybe from there's perspective of his career in general but also for Scotland under 21s he'd really need to be demonstrating that he can be a starting goal scoring centre forward at this or a comparable level for a club I don't see like for him the kind of trajectory of say a a Kevin Nisbet or a Lauren Shankland Um, and, and you know as a result of that I don't necessarily expect him to play either for Scotland under 21 level again nor really for the senior side but that doesn't mean that he can't go on and you know not have a really good career, which I'm, I'm sure he will. But I think that was a kind of passing um, instance of him being in the, the squad. In terms of Harry Stone, he's kind of um, well, he's obviously younger, what 2002 born. Um, but the kind of quirk of that is that it now means that he's only eligible for Scotland under 21s. They they changed the kind of age range um, very recently um, for the the last campaign. It would have been 1998 and younger to be in the under 21s, and 2002 um, younger to be in the under 19s. But now it's 2000 and younger to be in the under 21s, and 2003 um, to be in the under 19s. Sorry if that's a lot of numbers, but basically it means that people who are born in 2002 are kind of a, a little bit had their time cut off. So um, it's you know they've got some people ahead of them at their the younger age for the under 21s instead of being a kind of um, you know, likely older person and more likely to be in the under 19s. I think in terms of Stone, that you're you're absolutely right. The, the difficulty for him here is that he's obviously out of the team at Thistle. It's a very tricky thing to go anywhere as a, a young loney, but particularly as a goalie. You know, it's the toughest position to force yourself back into in the team once you're out. Um, he he is a resilient guy. You know, he he um he made some mistakes at the start of his loan at Albion Rovers. Um, similarly, and he overcame them. So I think he'll go on and he'll have a, a really good career. Um, but in terms of the national team right now, you know, if he's not kind of starting, um, then he, he's unlikely to force his way into the under-21 team where there's a couple of really good goalkeepers ahead of him. There's Kieran Slicker, who's at the Man City um, Academy, and there's um, you know a couple of other people who are getting some senior minutes. Um, but yeah, if, if he can... I don't know, go back to Hearts, reassess, maybe he has to go down to a League One loan instead or something like that, he might well push his way back into things. Yeah, I do think it is very unfortunate for Stone in that mm-hmm. I, I fully expected McCall had... McCall had very much had, had said as much that he was going to kind of split time between Sneddon and Stone like he'd done last season with uh, Sneddon and Wright. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a case of... Stone went away in international duty and Sneddon kind of had to fill in. We had to mm. actually recall a, a like a eighteen year old Loney uh, Mason McCready um, on the bench because he didn't have any other goalkeepers. And then Sneddon, and then Sneddon kind of had a good wee run. Then Stone get injured and Sneddon just kind of ran with it. And there's you know he's he's really cemented that place now where I don't think there is room really for Stone 
which yeah, seems agree. mad because, like, you know, he is a really promising goalkeeper. All the all the testimonies of him are that he's good, he's one for the future, and it's kind of that thing where you go, well, he would be better off training under Craig Gordon than he mm. would be with, you know, with this. So all the greatest respect to Kenny Arthur and, you know, Ian McCall and, you know, just then as well. Like, you know, he be, uh, Craig Gordon is going to absolutely be an invaluable source of him to be training with him at Harps. And, I, you know, if he's not getting games here, Harps won't be happy. And it's just a waste of him out of such a valuable talent. And that, yeah, he, he probably is going to go back in January. But Yeah, I agree with you, David. That, it's um... for a good reason. Yeah, from from Thistle's perspective, it's a good reason. I think that um, maybe that's something just for the player to consider for future. If that's what he's getting told, that the the idea is that he's going to be splitting game time between him and the other goalkeeper while known, you'd really need to assess whether you think that's going to play out that way in reality. I mean, that that's not really a principle that happens in football is it so no. um you know and and you might you might bet on yourself to be the number one and so on but it, it's just a bit of a tricky spot to put yourself into as a a 19 year old goalkeeper um you know definitely now um it, it, for me it always struck a bit peculiar that we have players from the championship and even last year league one i mean keenan wright for example uh, was in the scotland youth set up and he was at, at Thistle as well uh, during our league one season is it normal for championship sites to be producing players under 21s or is this a bit of an outlier for Thistle? I guess the big distinction there is whether they're loanees or not, right? So, I mean, for, for a loanee at a club, you know, such as um, somebody like Harry Stone, for example, that's not that abnormal. You know, there, it might be a pretty normal step for a loanee into a championship side to be in the under 21s, where it might be a bit rarer is for players that are actually owned by the club. For example, Zach Rudden, in this case, um, to be in, in the under 21s and, or in the, the younger national sides. You could see it happening with somebody like Zach Rudden, who's maybe at the older end and has you know, been at other clubs on loan and then you know, chosen to kind of depart um, his parent club and, and you know then is still in the kind of... Uh, national youth set up once he lands somewhere at Thistle but but certainly um, for maybe people who are owned by the clubs and, and younger that, that's got to be rare. I'm all for it though as a general thing if it can happen I mean in many ways I'd kind of say that I'd value the experience of playing weekly football at a decent level in the championship over somebody being in an elite academy and only playing under 18 or under 23 football. I'm thinking maybe here of some clubs out with Thistle specifically, but you know guys like, let's say Dylan Tate and Ethan Ross at Wraithovers, a couple of players at Inverness Cali Thistle, maybe even Jamie Hamilton at Ackies, um, where they're you know people that are playing regularly at, that are eligible for the under twenty ones and should maybe be in that level instead of people that are maybe, um, maybe at a Premiership club but not actually playing. Um, I think. It's difficult for the international youth managers. They've got to kind of find a balance between selecting people who, like those guys, um, are maybe developing through the level that they're playing at and could do a job for the national teams at those levels right now versus having in the people who maybe aren't playing senior football right now but are more likely ultimately to be players that could make it into the senior Scotland setup. So these are the kind of things to be thinking about. But in terms of whether it's not normal for a club at the level that Thistle's at at the moment to get call-ups. I think the key distinction is, are, are they players that are actually owned by Thistle or are they people that are on loan, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a, that's a very good point there. We, I mean, we've seen 
uh, may all have to miss quite a couple of games in the mm. same with you know Stone, uh, Rudden and uh, again Keenan Wright last season where they've had to miss games and have we have you found that with like the youth teams is it a burden for these teams to have to release their players to go or, like play on an international week uh, for Scotland or whatever or is, is that something that managers have kind of spoken out about? Hmm. I'm sure it must be right it's got to be a frustration for managers and fans if people are away and unavailable, potentially come back injured. Um, I mean, that's a frustration um, for any manager at any level, right? You know, you, I think I heard Jurgen Klopp the other day having a bit of a moan about people going away for the African Cup of Nations. But particularly at a level like the Championship, for example, where you maybe have a thinner squad, it's got to be a concern for the manager. My, my take on it is, as a manager, that you just need to embrace that optimistically and positively you know it's clearly a good sign if a player is good enough to be selected for the national team even at youth level hopefully it means that they're playing well for you in performance so yeah a frustration maybe in the short term um but maybe it's an opportunity to give somebody else in the squad an opportunity it's a good test for you as a manager in terms of your squad management um and you just got to um pray that they don't come back with a a bad injury right absolutely no definitely so as a well well, we're here. Obviously, we we talked about the Scotland game against Denmark from last Monday on the pods uh, with uh, Reese and Jamie earlier. Um, we just wanted to get your thoughts. First of all, obviously, on the Scotland team at the moment, and specifically the youth teams that are coming through. I mean, you look at it now. You look at the team that we have in terms of a lot of the players are sort of focal players for Premier League teams. You've got that core of you know, for example, Celtic players, and you've got people kind of dotted about from the SPL. Um, there, but I mean, even then, when you look at the sort of the you go on Twitter at any point when a squad is mentioned, there's always people mentioning, you know, we've got players playing in Serie A, why are they not getting in? As well as that, you look at like, the youth academies, you've got like five people at Man City, you've got uh, two people at Bayern Munich, stuff like that. What, what are you optimistic for the future of Scotland? Um, or are you a bit more uh, of a pragmatist with it? How do you think it's going to pan out over the next five, ten years? I'm pretty optimistic. Um, I think there's some really talented players. It's obviously very, very difficult to tell, you know, particularly once you start looking younger than the under-21s, people that aren't playing senior football, you know, what what sort of physical development these people are going to have, you know, what happens when they actually get a a proper mental test in terms of playing, you know, against, you know, men. Um, But generally, I'm I'm pretty positive. The under-21s particularly has some really talented players scattered throughout it. So, Lewis Fiorini, um, who is at Manchester City but is out on loan at, at Lincoln in England. Um, he's a really, really good player. I believe that he'll go on and play for the Scotland senior team. He's you know a very tidy, creative, um, skilled on the ball midfielder. There's also depth um, at fullback. You know, so we've got Nathan Patterson, who's of course graduated onto the senior team, but then we've got Calvin Ramsey, who would on age terms still be eligible for Scotland under 19s at this moment in time but you know has to be a kind of stick on for any under 21 squad moving forward um you've also got Harrison Ashby as a right back who's at West Ham um and plays for their under 23s um and on the left you've got Josh Doig of Hibs you've got Aaron Hickey at Bologna and Adam Montgomery who's been starting matches at you know, some points this season for Celtic. So there's depth there in positions and there's quality of depth at the under-21s, which is really good. I'm a little bit sceptical about the... um, the use of players at the under-21s at the moment. Um, I talked earlier on about the kind of search for a centre-forward and the kind of strikerless systems and so on. And in the previous campaign for the under-21s, 
there was a tendency to maybe play players out of position a little bit. Quite often we played full-backs at wingers and stuff. And I, I think that it, 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 there's a similar vibe about things this season as well. So I, I just hope that maybe this point now, midway through that campaign, um, could be in some way a realisation that the qualification for the Euros for the under-21s is not going to happen. So at this point, it might be about really kind of developing the players, equipping a team correctly. They could, for example, decide that they're going to try and play with a similar system to the senior Scotland team, um, and, and kind of really kind of you know push for that and see who who can be you know a prospect to move on. Um, but that's the under twenty ones. You know some some reasonable talent. Um, the under nineteens um, have just recently qualified for the next stage of the European Championship qualifiers, which is a really good achievement. Um, it's called the elite round. It will be in spring. And if they you know get through that, then obviously they move on to the actual finals, which is brilliant. And they have some, some impressive players. I think the interesting thing about the under 19s is that they have a, a clutch of really strong center backs. So from the age of kind of 2004, um, uh, up to the age of kind of 2002, there, there's a group of um, players. So there's Liam Morrison, who's one of the guys at Bayern Munich that you mentioned. There's Kerr Smith, who's a 16-year-old that's already playing um, some league minutes for Dundee United in the Premiership. There's Dane Murray and Liam King, who are at Celtic and Rangers B teams, respectively, and of course playing in the, the Lowland League this season. So that that's kind of interesting about them, that they've got a selection of really good players in one position. So it'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out with the, the competition that they have and the ability to build up kind of partnerships there. And then similarly, when you look at the next level down, um, those kind of born from 2004 to 2006, so the sort of under 19s, um, under 17 group, um, there's a really exciting clutch of wingers and attacking midfielders. So you've got Dira Mabude, who's at Manchester City and is the brother of Dapo Mabudi, who played in the, the championship. Um, got Barry Hepburn, who's the other kid at Bayern Munich. So it's really exciting again to kind of see that kind of clutch of a position um kind of coming through together whether that's down to a particular aspect of coaching or just coincidence i don't know but um good to keep an eye on and and the same as the under 19s the under 17s have just qualified for the next stage of the european championship qualifiers which is you know good success um and is um an achievement they can be proud of but the, the main thing about that for both of those groups for me is that it means more games which is good you know to have as a group to learn and you know kind of develop together um so i'm i'm, I'm feeling pretty positive david i think that it's very difficult to predict who will make it through to the senior team and so on but i think it's a an exciting group of players that you know we'll, we'll likely see fit, filter through over the next decade i know i i absolutely agree and it's it's very refreshing to see again people being trained at places like man city Bayern Munich. Mm-hmm. i mean we all remember the sort of the 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 false prophets of like the Jack Harper at Real Madrid, mm-hmm. um, you know everyone expected him to be you know the next yep. big thing because he's trained at Real Madrid. But it seems a little bit different. You've got more people going to different places. Um, it's not just you know one hope that they're pinning their their hopes mm-hmm. on or whatever. You've got people all over the place. You've got um, you know it, we are also an attractive nation now to play for. So you look at people like, for example, Shea Adams or Jacob Brown or um, even like Lovermento, uh, the port, well, the Portuguese guy who he's talking about how his mum wants him to play for Scotland and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There is a bit more of a pride there and that people want to play for Scotland as opposed to it's, again, championship, you know, it's, it's championship huddies who won't get into the England squad who maybe 
sniffed out that they could get a Scotland cap because they're sort of at that level. We mm. seem to be very beyond that. And um, yeah, you've got people training elsewhere. But I mean, one thing I wanted to mention to yourself was about there isn't a reserve league um, anymore. Uh, that got canned um, a couple of years ago. Um, Thistle disbanded the reserves team actually the year before the reserve league um, finished. Um, we've got a promising crop of like under uh, under 19s, under 18s uh, coming through. McCall rates them really highly. You've seen like Billy Owens and stuff like that getting uh, minutes and things like that. But I just wanted to ask, like, you have you obviously your under 18 league and then nothing afterwards apart from Celtic Rangers and the Lowland League. Do you feel that Scottish football misses a reserves league? Do you feel that it serves a purpose, or are you quite happy with the system as it is at the moment? It's a really good question, but I, I guess my answer is maybe um, that I'm not sure really about this. It's quite complex and it's difficult, I guess, to parse what is good for development and what isn't. I think in general that there's probably not that many Scottish teams that really have the money to have the kind of squad that would support having a reserve team. <laughs> and my worry would be that it would just lead to the richest teams maybe hoarding players. Um, so I'm a little bit sceptical about how it would actually play out um, You know, if, if it was kind of brought in again just now. Um, so in general, I think that having the under-18s leagues and then, of course, the loan system is working okay-ish. As you point to... Um, Things are a bit different this season with Celtic being Rangers being the Lowland League. Um, but again, my feeling around that is that even if that was to become permanent, I'm pretty sceptical about that having a clear benefit for the Scotland national team as a whole. I think that that might end up just really only benefiting Celtic and Rangers. So I, I don't know um, is kind of the answer, I'm afraid, David, in terms of reserve setup, that it's very difficult to figure out what, what would be positive and what wouldn't. And I'm a, a wee bit sceptical about the capacity for enough teams to be able to support a reserve team po- properly yeah we did we, that was one of the issues of the reserve league is that you would it would contract and you know and the clubs would you know again fold a reserve team and things like that and then yeah. others come in and then they all just disappear and yeah it was just a bit of a roundabout and you had people we you know like even like rangers and celtic um leaving the league so that they could go mm. play like glamour friendlies that never really i remember clyde did it as well they were going to have glamour friendly ties and then just never never did anything whatsoever mm. it's very strange so that is one of the pedals of it but um final question then we'll let you go is um ian mccall has came to you he's he's, he's phoned you up and he said owen i need your assistance Who who's the guy who's the the kid in the scotland you're set up that i should be kicking down the door to get a get on a loan or to buy on a permanent who who should i be, who should i be pinning it on if you had to name one name that thistle should be going to the ends of the earth to get in who 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 should we be getting again that's a good question david um i guess i would want to maybe sit down with call and ask him a little bit more about exactly what he wants you need in that situation to figure out um, is there a position needing filled? You know, um, I think the positional needs are a little bit unclear at Thistle at the moment, but I would be thinking maybe he wants a threat from the right-hand side. Jake Hastie's obviously not really worked out too well on loan, but maybe also he needs something a bit different in midfield to give Bannigan and Doherty the occasional rest. And, and again, maybe it differs whether this is for a January um, window right now or, or next season, and, and then obviously it depends on which league they're in. And again, um, I wonder whether he might have some... Uh, scepticism or hesitancy on loans given you know Jake Hasty and so on and, and maybe the parent club uh, going back to Harry Stone might 
And also, I want to make sure I'm not blocking the path of anybody who might be on a cusp of coming through. You mentioned Billy Owens. There's been, I noticed, Ben Stanway and Jai Stevenson, 16-year-olds that kind of made brief cameos um, earlier on the season. But anyway, let, let's say I kind of try and answer both. Um, so right now in the January window and for next summer, next season, the person I would suggest for my call uh, right now for this January window is Kieran Bowie. Um, you may well be aware of him. He was obviously at Wraith Rovers, um, so I'm assuming that a lot of the listeners have seen him play, but he's now at Fulham, um, born in 2002. He's an attacker. He can either play as a, a as a nine, a centre-forward, or off the right-hand side. Um, I really like him. He's um, got... Really good build, quite a big kind of wingspan, so he's he's capable physically already of playing um, at this level, I believe. Um, he's got a good eye for goal, but he's not um, kind of one-dimensional. He can carry the ball, he can dribble well with it. He's got a really good attitude as well, so I think he'd be the sort of person that if you got him in on loan in January, he's going to fit in well, he's going to hit the ground running, and he's going to be a really kind of um, positive person to have around the team. So that would be my number one. But I did have a couple of backups. So I, I was thinking about the fact that, obviously, um, very sadly, Declan Glass was kind of unable to... Um, have a kind of proper time at Thistle given injury. Um, he's now back and you know fit and kind of on the fringes of things at Dundee United. So might be a possibility to try and get him back in. He's still eligible for Scotland under 21. So maybe if you can rekindle things for him, he'd be um, back into the squad for the, the spring uh, matches the under 21s have. But for somebody maybe younger and a little bit similar, um, there's an 18 year old called Alex Lowry at Rangers who um, is a, Scotland under 19 um, player. In, in fact, he scored a, a last minute kind of wonder strike versus Croatia to get his qualification for the next round of the Euros recently. He's a free kick specialist, um, very kind of silky, kind of central attacking midfielder. Don't know if that's really a, a likelihood because of you know Rangers' involvement in the Lowland League with their B team and so on. But given you know there's a relationship there already with you know. Uh, uh, Mayo on loan and so on, it, it might be a possibility. So he'd be one to try for. I think he would fit in terms of kind of making that connection between midfield and attack and, and you know, meaning that that's not bypassed and, and there's not so many long balls. Um, and, and just to briefly conclude for next season as well, I was thinking you might need a centre back. Obviously, I really hope that Brownlee is back and, you know, at his um, best and so on and, and fully fit after injury. But um, if, for instance, Lewis. Uh, Mayo isn't there. Um, another Fulham player. So this is a central defender called Ibain Bowett. Um, he is 19 years old. He's played for Scotland in the 19s. Um, he can play on the left side of centre-back, so could be alongside Akinola. He is really kind of modern centre-back in that he's really good on the ball, good kind of line-breaking passes, but he's also solid. He is excellent in the challenge, really good in the air, just kind of an all-rounder, but not like a kind of jack of all trades he's, he's a master of many so i would say to get him in and, and the final point as well is for next season celtic and rangers beast teams um they might not be in the lowland league i mean the plan is for them just to be in for one season we will see what happens there but um let's say they're not they might be willing to let some younger people go out on loan um than they would normally so um two kids from celtic um i felt that maybe thistle might want something different from the fullback areas maybe more attacking um, so as a right back, uh, he's only 16 just now, but 17 next season. I think he could be capable of playing um, championship level then called Benny Jackson Louis um, one to try for and a sort of central attacking midfielder. 
called Soanello Letsoza, who's 17 just now, be 18 next season. Um, electric um, player, really kind of quick, smart, very creative. Um, so th- those be the ones to go for, David. Magic. And I think as well, like speaking from an official perspective, I mean, you look at like the Euros, we had three players who came through who came through at Thistle, and uh, so we had Stephen O'Donnell, we had Jack Hendry, and we had uh, Kevin Nisbet, who all played mm-hmm. some role, some more than others, um, at Thistle. But it is a real big selling point to be able to say, look, our, our team, you come to our team, we've we had three players in at the Euros who played for us and came through our system and developed with us. If you sign for us, there is a very there is a clear pathway that has been exam- exemplified by these people. And as well as that, you've got players going into the under-21s um, there as well, whereby it is an attractive prospect. You know, it's in the city. Um, Rangers, you know, if anyone's going to grease the wheels at Ibrox and get a loan move, it's probably going to be Ian McCall. <laughs> uh, he, he seems to just have a, ma- a magic for it. And same at Celtic as well. He seems to be, um, seems to have, have a lot of friends in high places who can get loans when needed. And, I just think that yeah, it's it's a it's a very attractive prospect and definitely a, a, a good place for people to move and they get the chance to play football and yeah no I I, I think that well I'll, I'll I'll send those names on to McCall <laughs> um, and get get him to get in the blower but um thank you very much Owen uh, do you want to plug yourself uh, all your work. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, David. Um, so yeah, if people want to hear a bit more from me about um, Scotland under 21 and younger players, you can subscribe to my newsletter. It's called The Young Team. Um, the easiest way to find it is on my Twitter. My handle there is at Owen James Brown. Um, but The Young Team is on a platform called Get Review, which is Twitter's kind of newsletter. Um, so you, you can Google it and find me that way. And and there'll be regular updates about players and teams and uh, performances and results from Scotland at all youth levels. Good stuff. Fantastic. Um, yeah, I would I'd heartily recommend the newsletter. Um, I think it's only the first couple of issues that have came out, but I'm, I'm a subscriber, and yeah, it's it's full to the gunnels. If you've ever if you ever want to know about the the young the young team, literally, if you ever want to know about how the under ones under 19s are doing, it's an exceptional source, and really, you can bore all your friends in the pub by talking about the the medical 16 year old who's lining it up for Scotland schoolboys. Um, he's going to be the future <laughs> you can do that with the young team newsletter but no definitely um, uh, but yeah thanks again Owen um, and hopefully speak to you sometime soon thanks David bye Move on to Partridge Thistle this weekend um, in the Woody. Um, Alec Gray of 1971 Cup winning fame turned up in the Woody and naturally was mobbed. Everyone wanted to take photos of him and stuff like that. I got my photo taken with him and all that. 
or singing song Charlotte Day. So I put to you, Jamie, Reese, if you had to pick one person from Thistle history to go on a night out with, who would you choose and why? I mean, Chris Dolan's quite an obvious answer, but I feel it's got to be Alan Archibald. I think he'd be, you know, what a guy. I think he'd be quite a quality guy if you had him. You've got a group of people, got Alan Archibald leading the night. I think it'd be quite funny having him on a night out, so I'm going to go for Archie. I'll go for the enigma that is Milan Gatryansky. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Conrad Balatoni or something. He seems like a good lad. He was a nutcase. He was always like living it up, always out nights out and stuff. And basically it was the heart and soul of that team in 2013. So aye, I'll just go Balatoni. I mean, I know, I know secretly all, the answer is Dolan for all of us, but like, I, I, I kind of went down a similar uh, line as yourself, Reese. I, I thought Stevie Lawless or Gary Harkins, either Stevie Lawless or Gary Harkins, would be a sensational night out in the pub. Um, although I suppose with Stevie Lawless, you have to make sure you know you went to the right pub um, and not let him choose it. Uh, I think, yeah, Stevie Lawless and Gary Harkins would be my two choices. As always, thanks again for listening to Draw Lose or Draw. We'll be back next week to rule over either our win slash loss slash shite Tuesday night replay to Dunfermline. But as ever, stay safe and buy a season ticket. Mm-hmm.